Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanika. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. It's the podcast where I speak to professional investors about their investment journeys. And we also take a peek into their personal investment portfolios. We try to get a sense of how they analyze investment opportunities, what shares and assets they invest in, and whether they have more hits than misses. The idea is to identify a few golden nuggets of wisdom to help amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Omri Thomas. He has been in the investment business for 25 years. He's currently a director and portfolio manager at ABAX Investments. And before joining ABAX, Omri was the chief investment officer at Sunlam Investments and an investment analyst at Old Mutual Investments. Omri, thank you so much for your time today. Let's start off with your background. Where did you grow up and 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 when did you decide and when did you decide you wanted a career in the management of investments? Thanks very much, Rake. I was very fortunate that I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. My grandfather started a business called uh, Thomas Tyus, which is actually still going today. My my cousin is the CEO of the business at the moment. But so I grew up with a very keen sense on business. And at high school already, I started investing in my own share portfolio. And uh, I went the CA route, so I, I completed the CA. And after articles, I decided that I wanted to enter the investment industry. I was lucky enough to start at Old Mutual Asset Management at that time as a small cap analyst. And uh, coincidentally, about six months after uh, I joined, there was a walkout at Old Mutual. So uh, at a very young age, I was thrown into the deep end and having to analyze a wide array of industrial stocks. I was actually the sole industrial analyst at Old Mutual at the time. And a funny story, after about a a week or two, I said to my wife, this work is so exciting. I can't sleep at night. Then I realized it's the good coffee bar that Old Mutual's got. So <laughs> once I cut down on the coffee, I could also sleep better. But I was really enjoying the the investments and the analysis. And yes, I was at Old Mutual for six mm-hmm. years. I then joined Sunlam Investment Management. I was there for three years. And then uh, I've been with Abex Investments now for uh, about 20 years. So uh, it's been a very rewarding career. Yeah, it's an interesting journey. But let's go back to Omri, the investor at school. Uh, tell us wh- why did you start to invest at such an early age? And uh, what was, for example, the very, very first share you bought? Yes, right. So, I mean, it intrigued me that you could actually put a price on a company and monitor it daily. And I've always been very keen on maths and accounting. So I actually started building my own valuation models for the companies. And, and on that basis, I started investing. I mean, one of the lessons that one learns in life is uh, a spreadsheet can't tell you everything. So I mean, one of my early investments, I remember, was a company called Amalia Gold. I should have kept that share certificate because it actually got liquidated. So it was, <laughs> it was an expensive lesson to learn at a young age. And one of the other lessons was I invested in an early startup called MSL at the time. And uh, out of MSL, eventually came NASPERS, MTN, DSTV, that was uh, listed at a stage, uh, Supersport. 
So it ended up being a massive success. But what I did is when, when it was my 21st, I decided I've done well out of these investments and uh, I sold my MSL shares to pay for my 21st. Now, <laughs> I think it's one of the most expensive 21st anyone's experienced. At the time, it was 20,000 rands worth of MSL shares. It would have been worth uh, more than one and a half million uh, now, but uh, <laughs> at least uh, we had a good 21st at that time. Now, you always spot your biggest mistake. It's in hindsight. You can only take investment decisions with the information you have at hand. But as you say, um, I also sold a bunch of Naspas shares uh, to finance my first deposit on a house. And I also believe that's the most expensive house uh, <laughs> you can actually buy. <laughs> But exactly. uh, when you were young, uh, and I'm talking here while you were at university and, and maybe yes. shortly afterwards, did your investment focus change um, from being, as it sounds to me, a type of a novelty thing? You just want to get into the market, understand it, and, there, and therefore skin in the game is so important. Did your investment outlook or approach change? Yes, but I've always been attracted to companies that have got good cash flows and actually good quality companies. And over the years, I've learned, and even at a young age, I bought shares with the intention to hold it for as long as I can. So I try to buy businesses that I think will win in the long term. Obviously, at a specific point in time, there's a value that's put on it. But I mean, you want to buy the companies that win in the long term. And it's amazing if you spot a handful of quality companies and you keep on following them, how many opportunities you actually do get over time to invest in them. There are always some market events or uh, macro events or political events that happen that offer you these opportunities to accumulate a good quality portfolio for, for the long term. So in my personal capacity, I've got very much a buy and hold strategy. I mean, some of my shares I've held for decades so you try and buy something that's good quality, where it's good cash flow, that eventually will pay dividends and that compounds over time. And you do get these opportunities, as we've seen over the last uh, couple of years, especially with COVID uh, also giving you some good opportunities. But that's the theory. And I think most professional investors would tell you, you know, buy good companies at a cheap price, hold them forever and you will win. Uh, but it's not that easy to do. I think the key here is how many of those investments are successful and how many are misses? Do you have a, a target? Or, or Let's ask you, how many winners do you have relative to losers? Right. It's actually interesting. You don't have to have that many winners, but the two winners become multiples of your original investment size. So your losers sitting to a point where it's irrelevant as part of your portfolio. And there's analysis and studies that have been done. If you get six out of 10 investments right, you'll end up being one of the top 10% of investors in the market. So you don't have to get every investment decision right. Now, if you apply a few filters to increase your likelihood of getting one of those six, you identify good quality companies and you, you just follow them and, and wait for a good opportunity to buy them and not to panic at certain events in the market. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes one makes is the events happen, you get scared and you actually sell at the wrong time when one should be buying. So one has to have a bit of a contrarian approach in your thinking in to say, listen, I'm not going to get sucked in at the top and I'm not going to be completely afraid at the bottom. And it's very difficult to get the timing right on that. You never know 
there's no bell that rings that says this is the bottom or this is the top. I mean, you know you are in, in good value territory or you are in expensive territory. And even if it lasts another 6, 12, 18 months, if you look at a, a longer time frame, that value will compound if you don't buy at the top and you don't sell at the bottom. Do you have a personal portfolio of investments because you also manage other people's money for retirement? There are some rules, uh, you know, investing people's retirement money, uh, but there's also a difference in a risk profile. So do you have your own portfolio and, and how does the risk profile differ from the professional investments you make? Yes, right. At ABEX, we all have our personal portfolios. Like you say, there are very strict rules when we are allowed to buy or not. You have to get signed off from the compliance officer, from the directors of, of the company, and we can't be in the market trading the same shares. And you have to have long holding periods. So typically, you, you don't trade it often, you really buy for the long term. And because of that buy and hold strategy, what ends up happening is that it, it is a bit more of a concentrated portfolio. Because as I said, your winners become a big part of your portfolio, whereas in your fund, you will rebalance because it, it actually becomes almost a too big a part of your portfolio. In my personal portfolio, I've just tended to, to hold on to those shares. Now, with hindsight, I mean, you, you mentioned NASPERS. That's been one of our favorite investments for the last two decades at ABEX. And because of portfolio management and risk management, we've consistently trimmed it. Now, if you never sold a single NASPER share, that would have grown to be about 35% of our portfolio from our initial investment. But I don't think any investor with ABEX will feel comfortable that their manager holds 35% in one company. In hindsight, it, it would look like genius. But over time, you, you've taken a lot of risk in having such concentration in one share. Now, that has been a problem of NASPERS. They try to mitigate that risk or the scenario where certain asset managers need to trim their investments because it was such a, uh, you know, a dominant share yes. on, on the JSE. Um, but give us an insight. What shares are you currently holding and, uh, you know, how long have you held them? Again, in South Africa, there's a lot of negativity and you can construct a portfolio currently of very high quality industrial and financial shares, uh, domestic shares, uh, very high dividend yields, still growing their cash flows. So I mean, if you look at a, a company like Udeco, uh, Reuner, Zida, a car rental, you look at a, a property company like o Octodec, it's a, got a dividend yield of close to 20%. And then in the larger caps, I mean, if you look at our banking sector, dividend yields higher than the PEs. Now, in the past, if you just use that as a metric to filter when you're buying it, you would have, on average, achieved a return of over 20%. So, again, I think this current uncertainty and negativity towards South Africa gives you the opportunity to structure a, a long-term, high-yielding winning portfolio. And because the dividend yields so high, even if it doesn't happen in the next six or 12 months, you are getting paid to wait. If you've got a portfolio with a dividend yield of 8 9%, that's the same that you can earn on cash or better. And over time, equities, that's a real asset class. Um, and you would find that it will grow by at least inflation, hopefully more. So it's a good inflation protection. It's good wealth protection. And it's good wealth accumulation over time. I think that's a very, very good point, um, that the dividends should be incorporated in the investment analysis and decision. Do you think 
amateur retail investors pay enough attention to dividend yields? Right, it's normally the shares that offer those high dividend yields are not the sexy shares. It's not the Amazon that's giving you this huge capital appreciation. It's normally boring businesses. And sometimes that's not the exciting thing to talk about. Well, are you going to talk about the fire that, yes, I bought some more uh, apps yesterday? Or are you going to say, well, I bought some uh, Tesla shares and they've got the EV car? So I think sometimes one buys the story rather than the true economic fundamentals. So I think retail investors will do well to uh, focus more on, on dividends. There's been plenty of studies done over time. The biggest part of your return actually comes from the dividends and the growth in those dividends. So the, the re-rating, so the PE that you pay for it, over time is a small portion of the total returns. It's actually the cash flows that you get from the company and how those cash flows are able to grow. So if you identify a good quality company with good cash flows that still manages to grow that, those cash flows, even if it's at inflation or slightly above inflation, over time it's amazing how those uh, cash flows compound. I want to return to one of your earlier remarks that you get the opportunity to accumulate shares in a particular company, especially if there is a market event and there is a significant drawdown in the share price. Um, But another way to look at it would be, listen, you know, to accumulate shares in a company that is seeing a, a decline in value could be risky. It could be an, possibly an ego decision uh, because you don't like to buy shares that go down. That's an interesting dynamic. Um, how often is that the best way to go? Or when do you need to decide, listen, I really had a big optimism for this share, but it's going down and uh, maybe it's time to, to sell out and invest it somewhere else. Yeah, right. That's a very good question because it's, it's it's human nature that if you bought something and goes against you, you almost have to admit that it was a mistake buying it the first time. Now, there could be a few reasons why the share goes down. One is it's a company-specific event. They've done something, got the fashion wrong this season, and because of that, the earnings are under pressure, and the company goes down. Now, you then have to assess, is this a once-off event? So they just got it wrong. Or is there structural change in the industry and it's a DVD business that's going to go out of business? There are two different reasons. And don't get married to the price that you paid originally. It's what does the investment case look like now? So those are two company specifics where it's a once-off event or it's actually a structural decline in the industry and the company will go down with it. And the other reason for shares to go down is macro events where there are concerns about interest rates or uh, the global economy. And that broadly affects the market. Now, those are typically good times to buy your your high-quality companies. Where it's a company-specific, it's a lot more difficult because you have to make sure that it's a once-off event and not a a value trap and the company's earnings will actually keep on going down. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, There is a big distinction between a company's a share price dropping due to problems within the company as opposed to some macro issues such as what we saw um, in 2000 with the dot-com bubble, 2008 and nine with the international financial crisis and more lately the, the COVID-19 drawdown. That's an industry or an economy or a perspective issue and not company specific. So now for the two big questions. The the first one is, uh, and it always elicits some giggling, 
Omri, what has been your best investment ever? The one you are the proudest of? Sure, right. Um, I think it, it'll have to be a NASPERS, and, and maybe that's a boring answer, but uh, that's been really one of our top investments from a very early early stage, both in a personal capacity and within ABEX. If I look at what's accumulated the most wealth for our clients, that would definitely be the, the winner. I guess the second part of the question, what's been your biggest... Uh, yes, well, what has been your biggest dog you've ever bought where you said, Yo, I'd, what were you thinking um, when you look back at it? I mean, uh, sadly, I have to say that that's been Steinhoff Rake. <laughs> that was a big value destruction for our funds. We um, stayed out of Steinhoff for a long time, but it started looking like such attractive value. And um, we had quite a decent sized position in, in, in Steinhoff. And... Uh, Unfortunately, we took a lot of pain with, with Steinhoff. So I'd say that's the that's the biggest mistake we've made. Then just lastly, many young people, young professionals, they would like to understand investment markets. That's why they uh, start to invest. Many invest through easy equities because it's a very cheap platform that you can also have fractional uh, own fractional shares or fractions of shares because some of them are very, very expensive. But what would your advice be to young investors who would like to get a foothold in markets and build really long-term wealth? Right. In the, in the old days, there weren't that many sources available. So you read uh, some good investment books and that's still a, a good way to learn about markets. But nowadays, there are so many fantastic social media uh, platforms that you can get good information on. Exactly, the, the podcast like this is you can learn so much from listening to people who've been in the markets for 20, 30 years who distill uh, lessons in a couple of minutes. And if you listen to 20 of those, you get a few very good nuggets that you can apply. I think if you go on Twitter and you start following some of the good finance writers, and over time you then see who other good commentators are, and then the best experience is actually just being hands-on. Identify a company that you like. And, and typically, it's, it doesn't have to be this foreign company. It can be your local retail shop that you think, geez, these guys are getting their fashion right. They are growing. They are rolling out their stores. And you buy a few shares and you start following the company. And that's how you learn in both the pain when you get it wrong and the joy when you get it right and you actually start getting those dividend checks. Those would be a few pointers. Yeah, I think it's uh, you learn a lot more when you get it wrong, especially initially, and that assists you to be more successful in other investments. But Omri, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insights. Thank you, Rick. I enjoyed the discussion. That was Omri Thomas. He is a portfolio manager and a director at ABAX Investments. Show me the money. That was the Money Web, be a better investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. Money Web, your trusted source for business and investment insights.